0: We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 57. The last few weeks, we focused upon the cross of Jesus and what it means. And so as we look at this psalm, I really want us to keep in mind the cross, to keep in mind the hope that we have, even surveying the cross as we consider what David is is going to give us, especially in this season where it's easy to be overwhelmed with the needs that are all around us. So Psalm 57, 1 through 11, David wrote these words from the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. A little over a week ago, almost two weeks, I guess, at this point, the storm trackers began their survey, and they knew that there was a storm that was going to be a tropical storm that could turn into what it eventually did but daily, hourly, regularly, they made surveys and they begin to make predictions about landfall and about what might happen. And now we've seen it and it's catastrophic. It's truly overwhelming to consider what has taken place just like it was 12 years ago and with different natural disasters in between. It's overwhelming. If you've never been in one or near one, I would just wanna tell you that the TV doesn't begin to even describe what you see once you're there. My wife and I experienced the Northridge earthquake in 1994, which was the, still to this day the third most expensive natural disaster in our nation's history. Certainly this will pass that. and you go to number one. It's remarkable when you're there to see the lines of people, to touch and to hear the pain, to watch the chaos and then order somehow come out of it, it's really remarkable. Surveying a storm and then surveying the aftermath is really important. So now people are really taking inventory. Families are going back in as the water recedes, they're looking at what all's been lost. Some it's gonna be complete, others not as bad maybe, but it's gonna take a long, long time. What would you say to someone If you were there on the ground and they said they had no hope, what would you say to someone who just looked at you with eyes that were just overwhelmed with destruction? I hope you would give them something that they need physically if you had it, It and maybe just a hug. But deep down, we as believers have this incredible opportunity to show this region, this state, this country, and the world, the power of the gospel, and the church. What do they need most from us? They need a lot. But I'm telling you what they need most is our steadfast hearts in Christ Jesus. That might seem weird. There's going to be lots of agencies, lots of organizations, lots of money raised, And it's gonna help and it needs to be raised and it needs to help. But there's still, even after everything is rebuilt and the infrastructure is repaired, there is still gonna be a deep, deep need. And that deep need goes well beyond even life on this earth. And that is the ultimate security that we have in Christ. And in moments of crisis, people reflect on it in different ways. Some blame God and get really bitter. Some know that God's still sovereign, and they rejoice even in the midst of the sorrow. But most, at least, will ask questions. And some of these questions cannot be answered. And One is, why? Why did this have to happen? Why did it have to happen to me? David gives us a psalm. He's given us many. But this is one that I particularly like, because he's writing from a place of deep confusion and anxiety, a place of fear. What's happening to him? Well, David is a man that the scripture records frequently taking surveys of situations. David is a man, went to see his brothers when they were in a fight with the Philistines. And as David got there, he took note, he measured things, he surveyed the scene. And there in the battlefield stood a giant, one man, he was big and he was powerful, But then he looked at the army, which his brothers were part of, and they were all fearful. And their fear led to a paralysis, to the point that they weren't willing to act. They did not think they could beat the giant. And then this boy, the youngest, says, I'll fight. He seems foolish. Saul says, take my armor. He surveys it. It's not what God wants. He's not comfortable in it. It's not right. And so he surveys the field, he picks up the stones, he uses a weapon he's used to. He's a courageous man, he's young, he's killed a bear, he's killed lions, and then he slays the giant. Now, this man who faced that giant, who killed that giant, is being pursued by the king of Israel, the most powerful man David knows. A powerful man that David served, one in which David played instruments in order to soothe his very soul. And now, this man threatened by David wants David dead. It's hard to believe that it's happened, but even with David's good friend, the king's son, he has seen with his friend that that man really wants him dead. And so, David fled. And is he fled, he is surveying the land. Where should I hide that I might be safe? Where should I seek refuge? Refuge means a place of safety and shelter in the midst of danger. And so he finds a cave. And David moves into this cave. And it's from this cave where he's full of confusion, fear, and he's alone. That he writes this, this hymn, this psalm, this song, this poem. And in the middle of it, David says these words, verse seven, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. How in the midst of a storm, whether it's a real storm or a storm like David is in, how can we have a heart that is steadfast how, in the midst of all sorts of brokenness, sin done by us, sin done against us, this is the results of living in a sinful, broken world, how can we have a heart that is steadfast? And is it possible? It is, because this is a man writing these words, not deity. It is a man who's after God's own heart. And he is a man saying, "My heart is steadfast." There are three things that there's actually many more but I'm only going to... Approach three that David teaches us that lead to that heart that's steadfast. First, it's because of the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness that any one of us could ever have a steadfast heart. Do you see that? David, in verse three, speaks of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, he will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice what David does. He says, he, meaning God, will send from heaven and save me. From heaven will God send his steadfast love and faithfulness. So whenever you and I are praying for God's presence, his, his mercy, his kindness, We're praying to heaven, to the God who is transcendent, who is bigger, far bigger, far more powerful, far greater than we can even imagine. And David is saying, while he's in this cave, it is from heaven that God is going to rescue me. It is from heaven that he is going to give me his faithfulness and his steadfast love. Then in verse 10, seven verses later, he says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. That's beautiful. He is saying, this which comes from heaven, from the God Almighty, this faithfulness and steadfast love, it not only comes from heaven, it is so great that it reaches to heaven, that the mercy and kindness and goodness of God is that vast. So whenever we pray for mercy, we're praying to the one who is the God of the heavens, whose mercy is made new each morning, And his mercy is so great each morning that it rises so high to the heavens. I love the poetry there. So it's because of his steadfast love and faithfulness that David could ever proclaim that he has a steadfast heart. It begins with God. So here's the three things. What does David show us? Number one, when we are in the midst of a storm, we must cry to him for mercy. Number one, cry to him for mercy. Look what David did. He's in the cave and he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful. That is so personal. David is begging his God to show him personally his mercy. He has described his situation. He has described his need for us in verse four. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. And he actually had physically been in the presence of lions and defeated one. My soul was in the midst of lions. I lied down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. We had those weapons flung at him by Saul. David is experiencing the terror of an individual pursuing him to kill him. And not just the man, but any man that was given an order by that man to kill him. And so David fills the need. And how he seeks to meet the need is by praying to this steadfast God whose love and mercy are steadfast. And he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful. Mercy is defined as an act of compassion given by someone who actually has the power, the authority, and the right to bring punishment. I love the way Chad set up our confession. God is for you. Always. And his mercy for you, for you, is made new each morning. Secondly, after David shows us that we're to cry out to him, God of mercy, David says, in you, my soul takes refuge. In the midst of the storms of destruction that we are living through and the way in which we must encourage, must encourage people who are in those storms, it is that we are to cry out for mercy and we are to take refuge in God. In you my soul takes refuge. It doesn't say it in your text, but if you had your Bible open in the words that describe the psalm just above the actual psalm, it tells us that David wrote this from the cave. And some might say for David at that moment the cave was his refuge. But David wouldn't say that. He didn't put that in his song. The cave was not his ultimate refuge. It was given to him as a place of physical security and and physical shelter. And aren't we glad that God gives us places like that? The people in Houston are grateful for places to go where it's dry and their needs are being met, their basic needs are being met. But David doesn't say the cave is his refuge, because it's not, it's the Lord who is his refuge. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful, for, you, for in you my soul takes refuge. Because his soul takes refuge in Christ, because his soul takes refuge in the living God, David's heart is steadfast. Whenever we face trials, and we will, you know it until Christ returns of various shapes and sizes, the temptation is always to put our soul in some other refuge to place ourselves in something else that gives the illusion of security and shelter. Most of those things are good, but there's only one that's ultimate and only one that's eternal. Our, Our temptation is to constantly put our security in insecure things, money, reputation, physical blessings, No knowledge, but God must be our ultimate refuge. When we go through times where the storm seems overwhelming, where we don't know what's going to happen next, when the the chaos is louder than calm, when it's not tranquil, our temptation, because we feel and, and see the overwhelming pain that's present or coming, is to really begin to let our mind race. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen next? What should I do? I don't know what to do. What's the biopsy gonna say? Which doctor, you know, we as human beings get overwhelmed. And one of the reasons we get overwhelmed is we take the flesh and we put our refuge there. That's our refuge and it can't be. Instead, what David is teaching us is in the midst of the storms of destruction, make God your refuge. And why? because he is steadfast and faithful. Think about it. Everything else that we would trust, if we live long enough, will break or go away, everything. The only thing that won't is God, that's amazing. And God has given us himself. He has all the power, he has all the knowledge, he is fully present, there's nothing he can learn. That's why he is the one in whom David takes refuge and the one in which we must take refuge. Third, we cry to God for mercy. We take refuge in him. Thirdly, we trust in his purpose for the storm. Look with me at verse three or verse two. David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God doesn't waste anything. There is a woman who got a ton of attention over the week as she was interviewed on Good Morning America from a roof. 30 other people in her family are on top of their apartment as the water is rising and no boats are coming. And she reaches out on social media and you can see the numbers on the the TV spot as they just climb in terms of how many people are responding, but she just continues to wait, and wait, and wait. Aisha, Aisha Nelson is her name, and she was overwhelmed, rightly so. I didn't see the Good Morning America interview. I didn't know anything about it until about one in the morning a few days ago. She'd been rescued, now she was in the shelter, and there was a different news station doing this interview. And there with the chaos and somewhat order of the shelter, the camera's on her. And the anchorman simply asked this question. I was so moved by what she said that I paused my DVR, I rewound it, I couldn't record it, so I took my phone and I played, I, record, I videotaped it. Because the man with a tender, almost pastoral heart said to her, 12 years ago, you had to flee from New Orleans and Katrina. And you fled to Houston, and Houston became your home. And now you're having to flee again. And then his question. What's going through your mind? That's a great question. It's a great question for Christians when we're in the midst of a storm to just pause, to literally be still and know that he is God and ask the question, what's going through my mind? What's going through my mind as I wait for the doctor's response? What's going through my mind as I wait for my child to act differently? What's going through my mind as I deal with the conflict at work? What's going through my mind? When the reporter asked her this question, She was somewhat stunned by it and she just paused, probably longer than the producer wanted. What's going through your mind? Pause, then she said, God, God is trying to do something, this is word for word, but I don't know what he's trying to do with my life, but I think he's trying to do something great because a person that can go through something twice and still stand up here and talk to people, God, God is trying to do something. It's nothing but God. How many millions of people saw that? David teaches us in the midst of the storm to trust God for his purposes. In a way which only God can do it, he takes people who are going through such despair and reminds them that he is still worthy of their trust. In the midst of the storms of destruction, he is still good. He is steadfast in his love and faithfulness. And so David, because of that, is able to say in verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. Whatever is going through your mind in the midst of those storms, and these storms can be great, hard, they can feel omnipresent, bigger than we can even imagine. David says, "Cry out, Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me." He says, "Make God your refuge. There'll be other physical demonstrations of that, but make the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God your refuge and trust him for his purposes. David did not have the benefit that you and I have of knowing history past. David believed in the coming of a Messiah. The Messiah has come we are able to look back on history 2,000 plus years ago to the greatest storm that this earth has ever known. And that storm was when the man who made this earth, the incarnate Jesus Christ, was put on the cross to die so that all who would trust in him could make him their refuge. And the cost of his very life, receiving the wrath of his Holy Father, was so that you and I could live for all eternity. So that one day we could, in Christ Jesus, know what it means to have him as our refuge. So that in the midst of these storms, we can cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, not just as a symbol of some beautiful act that happened 2,000 plus years ago, this amazing sacrifice, but as a source of real power and real presence even now, which the Lord continues to minister to us. Jesus Christ understands the anguish of a heart that is going through storms that are unthinkable. That's why he asked God for mercy when he was in the garden, but ended that prayer by saying, not thy will be done, but your will be done. Not mine, but yours. And there, it was the Lord's will to strike him, to cause him to become sin that we who trust in him would live forever. And he did it. He did it perfectly. Christ Jesus did not need to suffer one more minute or receive one more ounce of pain. He died just after he said, it is finished. And then his body was placed in a cave. And then three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He conquered that storm, that ultimate storm of destruction called death, so that whoever makes him their refuge... Whoever says, I trust in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life will live forever. And that promise begins now, not just after death. David understood the presence of God, even as he was in that cave. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, moving him along to even record the words of these songs. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years later, you and I sit and listen to him again. And what does he tell us? Our heart can be steadfast in the midst of the storms, but only because he, God, is steadfast in his faithfulness and love. And what's the result? David turns to singing. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, verse nine, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And then listen to this, his final verse. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. The way David writes in the Hebrew here, he is saying, let my life, let my life bring you glory. Let the way in which I'm responding to these storms of destruction bring you glory. But well, what would bring him glory? A people looking on who see, who see a heart that is steadfast is your heart steadfast? Have you cried out to the Lord for mercy? Can you say today, Jesus is my refuge? If you can, then your heart has that profound potential to be as steadfast as you could ever even imagine not because you have some power in and of yourself, but because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. Be still, my soul. The only way a soul can be still is to make make the Lord its refuge. Be still, my soul. May Jesus Christ be yours. Lord, we're gonna survey the cross as we sing and we close that hymn by speaking about a love so great, so divine, that demands my life, my soul, my all. Lord Jesus Christ, we don't sing this in order for you to love us, in order for you to show us your steadfast love and mercy. We sing it because you already have. So would you just cause us to be still a little bit longer? And would you cause us to sense your power and presence as we cry out for you to give us mercy as we trust your purposes for our lives, as we make you our refuge. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.